The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 62. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Uh, today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Phage. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. Hi, Dom. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm sorry I missed the discussion last week, but you know, it's just as well. I'm, I'm not as well-versed in uh, Babylon 5 as you guys are, but I, will, uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, it's just been edited. It's sitting on my hard drive. I'm going to listen to it after we're done. Uh, because I want to really figure to see how much Star Trek copied uh, G. Michael Straczynski in Battle of Five. We discussed a little <laughs> of that. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it was, uh, I'm sure it was very good. And hopefully the audience will enjoy that. Um, before we get into today's episode, I do want to uh, encourage everyone, if you are not yet subscribed to the show, if you're listening to this on the website or, or some other way, be sure to subscribe in you can do so with Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app. Uh, on YouTube, you can subscribe to the SQPN channel, and then you would uh, hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, you can also hear us on Spotify now, which is uh, great. All of our podcasts are now on Spotify. And speaking of our, pod- our podcasts, I do want to recommend to you a new podcast that we have. That would be Secrets of Disney. That would be The Secrets of Disney, which is a great podcast that features uh Deborah Shaben and Sherry Tomamoto, who are former Disney castmates, you know, cast members, the employees, that's what Disney calls their employees, uh, who give you all the inside scoop of what, you know, how the, the parks work, uh, how much they still love to go to the parks, even have, having worked there. How much do you like to go back to places you used to work? So it must be pretty good. Uh, and uh, they, they give you the inside scoop. They talk about all things Disney. It's a lot of fun. Um, I love the story that Sherry tells about her going on a Disney cruise and her husband missing the boat, Ooh, getting left behind. Not in the figurative sense. No, yeah, in both senses. <laughs> and leaving her on the ship with just her, just their kids. Uh, and he got to hang out at a hotel by himself for several days. I'm wondering how much of that was intentional. So oh, <laughs> check darn. it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So check out The Secrets of Disney at sqpn.com slash Disney. So today we're talking about uh, the Voyager episode Phage, and also also known as Star Trek Series Four: The Search for Lungs. <laughs> yeah, holographic lungs, no less. So, yeah. um, so we we have this is this is the episode that had heart. So this is the the. By the way, since yeah. we're early in Voyager, um, it, you know we see the opening credits of the series, which are not bad. Yes. But if you stop to think about and there's this moment where Voyager flies by this gas giant planet and we see the reflection that has rings like Saturn. Yep. 
Yes. And we see the reflection of Voyager on the rings, which is right. so cool. And if you stop and think about this a second, there is an enormous problem here. That uh, planet is tiny. The planet is <laughs> impossibly tiny. I, yeah. uh, I, I'll, I'll send you a link, Dom, to a video that we can put in the show notes um, that analyzes It uses the reflection on the rings and a knowledge of how big Voyager is to map the size of this planet. It turns out the rings are 8.3 miles wide, and the planet (laughs) itself is only 3.8 miles wide. So So it's a gas gas giant that is is only less than four miles wide. It's a a gas (laughs) asteroid with rings. (laughs) That's right. It's a gas asteroid. And if it's gas, there's no way it would even hold together because it it, doesn't have have enough enough mass gravitational force. Yeah. Right. Right. So today's episode with uh, Phage, uh, it's just it's so that the plot is uh, Neelix's lungs get removed by this race that's suffering from a deadly disease that is slowly destroying the population and that prompts them to harvest replacement organs and tissues Mm -hmm. from other species. So that's the the, the basic premise. Because that's totally plausible. Well, I wonder, is this born out of the old urban legend about, you know, the the businessman on on a on a business trip mm. who wakes up in a hosp- at a hotel bathtub uh, with ice and a note says call 911 and they find out that his kidney has been stolen from him and sold on the black market do you think that's well, organ lugging is a real thing organ lugging does occur and xenoplasty yeah. does occur where you have so you know you can graft a pig's heart into a human that happens mm-hmm. um but the explanation that they give on this episode is totally lame as we'll right. get into yep right that, but that's not that's not how it starts though it starts yeah. with neelix is showing the voyager to a uh, uh they describe it initially as a rogue planetoid mm-hmm. which would mean it doesn't have a sun later they describe it as a moon and right. it's like okay is it a rogue planetoid with no sun <laughs> or is it a moon around a planet Right. Um, but they um, they're going there looking for dilithium to help with um, to help with Voyager's power problems. And that's of course, right. this is continuing the the one big problem with the first season is the first season was we're always out of something and we need to find some place to replace it. We're out well, of this. A- so now we got to find a planet to find it. Now yeah. we're out of this. Now we got to find another planet to replace that. But that's sort of a realistic way of approaching this. They're uh, out of touch of Starfleet. They don't have, you know, uh, resupply yeah. bases. They have to deal with shortages. And I kind of like that. The, Except that, for shuttlecrafts and torpedoes. Right. Exactly. That, that they they can make more of at any any moment. But, the, but you know, the later on, as we go the, through the seasons, they kind of leave this behind a little bit. You know, they mm-hmm. always have replacement parts and that sort of thing. But with with this episode, apparently they were brainstorming new alien races. Well, like, what can we do for a new kind of alien race? And the, the the operating question was, what if the bubonic plague in Europe had never ended? That's sort of the premise they started with. Hmm. Um, so the bubonic plague that killed a quarter of the population of of, of Europe and sort of set in in, in motion the uh, its cultural memory of disease in our in our society. And so, what if that had never ended? And so. We, it poses these questions of ethics and morality. What would you do? What lengths would you go to to save to save yourself, to save a loved one from a disease, given that you might have the technology to do so? Um, and so it, these aliens that we're pre- presented with are not just evil because of their uh, in their own motivation. What you know, 
their motivation is what we're doing is a good. I mean, they, they don't see themselves as bad guys. Well, and they have sensitivity, as we find out later in the episode. Um, they say we try to take the organs we need from the recently deceased. Right. It's only in emergencies we don't. Yes. Right. And uh, although later on, they kind of leave that behind as we we meet the yeah. Vidians again later. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it, it, originally, I guess it was this was going to be Paris it was going to be a story where Paris gets an injury to his heart. And the doctor replaces with a hologram. That whole thing was going to be a separate story. Mm. But then they combined it with this one. Heart became lungs. Paris became Neelix. And the reason they switched it to Neelix is because Neelix and Kess are the only people on board who have a relationship. And so that right. can be part of the story. Oh, man. But Neelix <laughs> is written so badly in this episode. Oh, he's, yes. He, yeah. uh, in order, so in order for this kind of plot to work, where you have a sick person who's maybe dying and maybe wants to kill himself, and you've got a loved one standing by the bedside feeling trapped and unable to help the way they want, you need to care about the person in the bed. Right. And that means the person in the bed needs to be something other than a childish jerk the entire time he's in the bed. <laughs> right. They they made him unlikable in this episode. Uh, and he, he's, he's always one of, those epi- he's one of those characters that throughout the entire series kind of fluctuates on that line to begin with where sometimes you know some episodes he comes out good and looks good and some episodes he comes out bad and this is one of those where he just he just looks bad right he's just annoying we may have talked about this before but really what neelix is is a failed quark um they (laughs) wanted just like quark was a breakout character in deep space nine they they wanted neelix to be the breakout character for voyager because he's got comedy but he's also kind of got a seedy side and he and he's got the head prosthetics and he's just like quark except he's not exactly. and he does he there's just nowhere near this depth and sophistication to neelix that there is to quark and so instead the doctor and seven of nine became the breakout characters mm-hmm. right that's true that's an interesting way of looking at it um we we do get Neelix's characteristic, his role here. Uh, he's not the morale officer. He's not the ambassador. He's the cook. He, yeah. He's the Voyager's cook. And so we get his cooking for the first time uh, where he, you know, we, he's the fish out of water who doesn't know how things are supposed to work. Uh, this That's what we see from Neelix, especially in the first season. And so he converted the captain's private dining room into a galley. Uh, Although there was kind of a middle step because it apparently had already been turned into a mess hall. And because well, when she first comes in, she says, you've turned the mess hall into a galley. And there are other people who are eating there. So yeah. she's obviously on board with her private dining room being a mess hall. Well, I, I think like the the mess hall was the mess hall. But that little room where he does the cooking, like the, that's oh, the kitchen. Right. Oh, OK. I think that was her private dining room. So I think that I was previously the there were the wall where all his his uh, counter is and where all the food is. That was uh, replicators. And he took yeah. that out. OK. And behind that wall was. Captain Janeway's so, dining room, private dining room. And so now that's the okay. kitchen. So engineering went ahead and did all this work and converting this room and diverting power without and getting the, the captain's signature. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm not the buying that one. Is that Neelix did all the work. Yeah. yeah. I'm also not buying that, that, that he would be able to start doing that. But okay. I, I did um, like her reaction though, where, where she, she got a little temperamental about it. She was not happy yeah. about the fact she lost her little private quarters there to eat in. Well, and then he he throws it back at her. Yeah. How is he the cook when 
they've been using replicators. I mean, where if he's the cook, where is he supposed to cook prior to this point? But he wasn't well, prior to this. Or, he wasn't. Or, so he, we're, he wasn't oh, so he's just assuming that role yeah. now. Okay. Right. They were using uh, ration packs. They were living yeah. off of pre pre packaged foods, and so he's they've yeah. they've had the the um, hydroponics bay growing foods, and so now he's cooking yeah. that. Uh, so um, there's all kinds Which of makes sense. I mean, you yeah. need to cook those vegetables after you wash them off. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. Can't, can't eat the raw veggies. Um, so they have this this rogue planetoid that somehow Neelix knew about. I'm not sure why. That full oh, of he dilithium. had been there before and scanned it and knew it had dilithium. Okay. All right. So what I, he I doesn't. That. What he didn't have time to do before was investigate it. So he mm-hmm. never beamed down to find out the dilithium readings were fake. So we have this rogue planetoid with a nitrogen oxygen atmosphere uh, somehow inside uh, inside um, and and warm enough that you can you know go on and just you know shirt sleeves you don't need a you know any yeah. kind of protection or anything must be the energy coming off the dilithium keeps it warm yeah, yeah. well I was going to say it's full of dilithium that no one has discovered doesn't this sound too good to be true for anyone else <laughs> like you <Yeah>. know <laughs> this does this not sound like a trap uh so uh Again, Neelix, who doesn't know how things are supposed to work and, and stumbles over protocols, volunteers himself for the away team, putting himself in harm's way. Uh, he completely ignores every order, every safety protocol. Yep. Every time uh, the Chakotay tells him to come back, he just ignores him. Uh, yeah, I was like, I'll be there in a minute. I'm checking this thing out. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there's this moment where he volunteers himself for the mission and they kind of look at him funny, like we didn't invite you, but then they let him go on anyway. Right. And actually I didn't have too much of a problem with him volunteering for it. I mean, he's not a member of the crew, so it's, right. if he's going to go, he's going to need to say, Hey, I'd like to go too. Right. And it actually makes sense yeah. for him to go given that he's been here before. I mean, he may not have investigated this place fully, but he has more knowledge of this planetoid than anybody else. You get the feeling that the crew sort of tolerates Neelix as a buffoon, but doesn't mm-hmm. really respect mm-hmm. him. I, yeah. You know, that at this point. Kind of like the audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. So uh, what happens is, is this Vidian comes out, shoots Neelix, and w- shooting him at the same time transports his lungs out of his body. So he's there on the ground and he's spasming and Chakotay and who one other crewman Kim. come up to him. Harry Kim, Kim. I was thinking yeah. it was Kim. Uh, come up and they're like, I think he's in shock. And I'm going, I'm thinking that spasming is not a symptom of shock. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but they they beam him up. And then the doctor gets to give his uh, wonderful line. His lungs have been removed. <laughs> Just thinks it's in such a such a, you know, a dramatic way. Um, and then the. Uh, they they have to figure out how to keep him alive. The you know, the doctors you know is is, is doing different things. Um, yeah. So, find- but let's talk about those things. The first thing he says is, "Get me an oxygen infuser." Okay, so fine. Okay. So they get him an oxygen infuser. But then he announces the oxygen infuser can only keep him alive for an hour at most. And I'm going, yeah. really, yeah. really? You can infuse oxygen into his bloodstream, and you can only do that for an hour. Yeah, why? We can do better than that now. And and he's he's like, oh, and I can't make artificial lungs for him due to his complex biology. Okay, I buy he's an alien. You may not know how to replicate lungs for him, but an iron lung? Yeah. Right. I mean, we can make iron lungs for people and keep them alive indefinitely. And that's kind of what that, ox- that's basically what that oxygen infuser is. That's yeah, except that's it should of, not. That's another word for an iron lung. I mean, <laughs> but it shouldn't but, have a timer that turns it off permanently in an hour. 
if they have if they can make holographic lungs based on his transporter pattern which is a new thing that's the first this is an experimental right. procedure yeah. why can't he make because their 3d lungs? printers aren't fine enough basically the way they <laughs> right. describe it is the replicator cannot create the fine details but how can the hologram exactly now, oh, by if the, the way, holog- hologram inside the body where it's light held in a force field through the body into yes. his chest cavity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, they've established that the entire sick bay is a holodeck, so they apparently can materialize holograms anywhere in sick bay that they want, including, including inside, inside a person, the body. Yeah. yeah. But so you can do that, but you can't replicate the same thing at the same detail. I just, yeah. it just that's, doesn't that's make any sense. No, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we do have uh, we. I'm thinking we have to create a uh, some sort of like bell or something every time we have someone say some kind of. Uh, we have uh, the <laughs> oh, yeah. instance of uh, who's it? So uh, I, I I missed it here. In this episode, we have it. I think four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Chicote says the doctor says whoever did this used some kind of transporter to be yeah. in the lungs directly <laughs> of his body. You mean like a transporter? Like yeah. that line would be equally good. Just saying, use the transporter to beam the lungs out of them. By the way, if you have not seen that YouTube video of every yes. time some kind of is used in Voyager, it's hilarious. kind of hilarious and scary at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Later on, there'll be a power fluctuation in the warp core, and Torres will say it's some kind of power drain. It's a power drain. <laughs> I so people have occasionally created drinking games for for. <laughs> television program we don't like, recommend that it's dangerous no 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 but like one of them allegedly for the bob newhart show is called hi bob and every time anyone on yeah. the show says hi bob you're supposed to take a drink <laughs> and someone told me recently that uh that they have a drinking game for jimmy aiken's mysterious world where oh. they where they take a drink every time I say something will be the subject of a future episode. <laughs> and I told them not to play that game listening to the patrons questions episodes. because One of the main things the patrons are doing is suggesting future topics. Right, right. That was um, that's alcohol poisoning. But, was but the, it, the, the, the definite do not play Voyager drinking game is some kind of. Yeah. Because you will. Poison your liver if you play some kind of as a drinking game. And, yeah, and if you if you throw in, as you like to say, you know, acting dramatically at consoles, if you throw that in there, <laughs> oh, oh you, you, you'll be drunk toast. before the first 15 minutes of the show's over. Well, it's like two lines after Torres says there's some kind of power drain. Kim says it's some kind of dampening field. <laughs> <laughs> and then we end up with uh, Janeway says uh, to, to the to the, the Vidians, a virus. Some kind of disease? <laughs> yes, it's some kind of disease, the Epson Janeway. So we, we might, find, make, the, we might yeah. make this a regular segment of, uh, of Voyager reviews, have the some kind of countdown as I, a segment every time we that's do what it. I'm, that's what I think we should do. I'm gonna, I have to make a note of this. I have you, to, you'll you'll have to keep... get like the, the, the photon torpedo launch sound effect, and every time we mention <laughs> some kind of, you, you well, add that in. We're going to call this segment some kind of countdown. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they be, they, they be back down to the planet and they find out that their tricorders are being faked out by some kind of hologram uh, field. And uh, Janeway walks up to the, to the rock wall surface where the, this hologram is being trans, you know, hiding something behind it and feels with her hand 
a two-degree temperature differential in the fake rock face. She can feel a two-degree temperature differential. So if we generously assume those are uh, Celsius (laughs) degrees, that would make it more like a four-degree-ish temperature variation. That's not implausible. I mean, it's not impossible with a difference. You can cut you, you. You can do that. Like, you know, if you put around the difference, yeah, you might be able to notice it, but it's not especially plausible either. No, yeah. it's not especially plausible. Well, to be able to say, oh, it's two degrees. Di-, you know, it's like, you know. so they, they discover this, this, this wall and this fake wall like, and the tunnel behind it. Meanwhile, the doctor is making the holographic lungs and he says that Neelix will have to stay completely still. If because the the lungs apparently for for some reason the holographic lungs have to stay completely stationary within the holodeck uh, within the yeah. the holo matrix. Well, can um, it, the the alignment between the lungs and the other parts of the, the body won't and the and the machines can't predict where Neelix will move if he's moving around. So I I suppose that makes sense. Yeah, Elon Musk has something to say about that. <laughs> yeah. So so it's essentially an, an iron lung, and he's stuck in sick bay. So that's this is where we've. We set up an iron lung episode. It even looks like an iron lung. Yeah. We're also we're also set up for whose life is it anyway? Right. So Paris and the doctor Oh, make- and Cast Cast cannot donate a lung because she's an Ocompan and they're not compatible and nobody else on board is either. Which makes sense. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. So the doctor and uh, Paris, they have this argument about that uh Well, for, well, for- wait a minute. I sh- I should say it's fine that they're not natively compatible. But we can do xenoplasty here on Earth. Um, you 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 have to immunosuppress the recipient of the transplant. Yeah. And but you know they could hypothetically immunosuppress Neelix and put something else in him. Although again, we have a, um, a, a his lungs are so complex and unusual that yeah, they couldn't replicate yeah. them. So uh, so as Neelix is contemplating this, you know, a life within this iron lung, uh, the Paris and the Doctor make an argument for living with a disability rather than letting him die. Uh, yeah, they they argue to Cass. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very interesting to see that this was a pretty standard way of addressing sorts of things in Hollywood back in the day. Uh, and Cass, of course, wants him to live. Um, uh, so uh, then I have a note here where that we, we're switching back and forth to the planet's surface or the planet towards uh, on caverns, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we've mentioned this before. But the wrist-mounted flashlights are ridiculous. Can we yeah. just yeah, they are. agree? Why not just yeah. hold the flashlight in your hand instead of holding it out with your fist? Like, yeah. if you, you you can't move your hand or anyway. This so. is, the, you know, the, what, 24th century or whatever it is. You, they can't find some other... What, they can't make the combat have, like, a click-on flashlight. I or mean, the, what they need to have is light drones. Exactly. Dr- they need to have a little swarm of drones around them that point lights wherever the human's eyes go. Mm-hmm. Now, we could almost do that today. So uh, the idea that you could do it in the 24th century, well, not we, we could do something that where the light goes where your head's pointing. It's called yeah. a head mounted lamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been doing it since the 19th century. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. So they 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 Vidians. They find the Vidian lab, but the Vidians escape in their ship. Um, and, and at this point, Janeway logs that they are pursuing the alien ship from the moon. Right. This is the that weird the moon thing. And uh, the doctor, meanwhile, is being very brusque to Neelix, especially given how badly injured Neelix is. Now, Neelix, yeah. uh, granted, was being kind of annoying, but the doctor is programmed to be a doctor. Like, be, how no much? Bedside no bedside manner whatsoever. Beds, 
Yeah, yes. that subroutine's apparently not functioning in this model. Yes, uh, the Neelix says, "I can't see you over there. I feel like I'm all alone." And the doc, oh, he oh, says, "This was so babyish." You are all alone. I'm a holographic <laughs> yeah. projection, a projection with a lot of work to do. I might add. I'm like, I, okay. I did like that line. Yeah. Also, there's a nice bit at the beginning of this before Neelix becomes a total jerk. Um, and, and I understand he's going through a lot right now, so I'm willing to cut him slack, but man, is he just so jerk, such a jerk, mm-hmm. but there's a nice moment at the beginning of it where he's laying in the bed and Neelix is like, well, I'm, I may as well tell you this now. Your ceiling is hideous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, okay. That's actually a funny line, but, but you right. know what? They, they missed out. They could have had the response from the doctor be. Well, I'm a doctor, not an interior decorator. I know. <laughs> right, right. Why they didn't do that? <laughs> that would have been even better. But I do like his his response, which is, I didn't design the room. I just work here. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yes. that was good, and, too. Oh, also good would have been, I didn't design the room. I just live here. Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. Mentioning that he's permanently stuck yeah. in the room at this point. Now, right. Um, Later, also, Neelix asks him if he's programmed to sing, which is interesting given that Later on, the doctor becomes quite the singer yeah. yes. in the series. Yeah. I will say it's kind of interesting, though. Um, this is an episode where they start to bring out the doctor's personality. Kess kind of draws, mm-hmm. starts to draw it out of him. And yeah. I think this is where they really kind of started that process of developing the character more. Unfortunately, they what they draw out of Neelix is it plummets off a cliff at this point. Yeah. He instantly becomes venomously jealous of Paris. Right. Yeah. Didn't you see the way he was zooming in on you, Cass? I'll be on the bridge if you need me. He does, though, get one good line in here. He describes Paris as one big hormone walking around the ship. And I'm <laughs> yes. like, okay, true dat. True yeah. dat. Good accurate. Yeah. Good, very um, accurate. <laughs> but then he instantly has this, in a flash, mood swing and becomes suicidal. And is like, you should just go on with your life, Cass, and let me die. <laughs> right. And, uh, I can have some license for time compression in a TV show, but this is so fast. <laughs> it just strains credibility. You know, this whole thing about the Neelix's jealousy with Cass and Paris, they, they, they play this up for quite a while in, in mm-hmm. the series. Cass and should I, dump Neelix and go with Paris the way <laughs> Neelix is acting. I, it's just not a good storyline it's it's, it's it makes neelix look terrible i mean it's just a, it's just a bad i don't know why they insisted on making this part of the story uh it makes neelix look jealous and grasping and small and childish yeah. rather really than this they should have done a whose life is it anyway where neelix is over the, gets really serious right and starts contemplating his life and starts thinking if you guys can't get my lungs back i think i'm gonna want to die Right. And 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 him have make that really clear, and then that creates the moral dilemma that cre- puts pressure on them to get his lungs back somehow. Right. right, exactly. Yeah, that would have been a a more serious approach. Would have been a better dramatic uh, episode than what we get here, which is sort of all over the place. Um, so they they. Yeah. Rec- By the way, for for people who may not know, whose life is in any way is a famous stage play about a disabled man who wants to be euthanized because mm. he's disabled and can't be cured. Right. Uh, so the the Voyager follows the Vidian ship inside a, another planetoid. Uh, apparently, <laughs> space is littered with them around here. Um, yeah. They they corner them. They recover. They've recovered a, a 
the Vidian device. It, they, mm-hmm. It's a weapon, medical scanner, and surgical instrument, and a yeah. floor wax and a dessert topping. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they they establish it's way better than a tricorder. And I'm going keep it, replicate it, use it in medbay in future episodes. Yeah, but exactly. of course they don't. Yes, of course. Uh, so they they uh, it's interesting that two when uh, Janeway wants to fly Voyager inside the Vidian base, their their other planetoid, G, uh, Tuva calls her on it. He's you know yeah. he is it your pride? I I know you. I've served with you long enough. That uh, it makes me wonder your motives for putting mm-hmm. the ship in danger here. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I I thought that was I thought that was nice. But what I didn't think was nice is when they find the new artificial asteroid, they can't scan inside of it because the surface is made of a neutronium alloy. Right, which is what the a ship neutronium is- alloy. <laughs> neutronium is what neutron stars are made out of. It's degenerate matter where all of the protons and electrons have been squeezed out. So it's neutrons. That's why it's called neutronium. <laughs> if the, you, that's going to be really hard to alloy with anything. And even if you do, it is going to have an extremely short uh, half-life given the size of this thing is. And it's going to be super heavy. Yeah. I mean, this is This is like an asteroid, it's meant to look like an asteroid, so you don't notice that it's a secret alien base. But it's anything made out of neutronium is going to be screaming, I'm an artificial thing here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's once again, the science uh, in Voyager is, is, is quite suspect. Um, so then we have the scene where the doctor and Cass, uh, the doctor complains to Cass about the situation that he's encountered on Voyager how he's not supposed to be the primary doctor. And Cass reassures him, you saved his life, not some program. Like, mm-hmm. he, he, is well, a program. he is a program. He is a yeah. program. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's a series uh, Cass- of algorithms and subroutines. He's a program. Yes, he is a program. It's, it, it, yeah, anyway. But this but is where he wants her to be But you're more than a program. You're also an interface. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the we get this uh yeah we get the warp warp core going offline some kind of power drain um they but they do have end up capturing the Vidians uh who claim that they are from the Vidian sodality what's a sodality real a sodality is an association of people it's kind of a it's kind of a medieval guild mm-hmm. um but they're typically gathered together for spiritual purposes there are different types of sodalities. Um, but it's another word that they found in a thesaurus to, <laughs> yeah. that means group of some kind. Not that long yeah. ago in parishes, you would talk about the, the women's altar sodality. Yeah. Yeah. That, so the Bidians are basically a women's altar sodality. Good, 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 good. That steals <laughs> organs. <laughs> that steals organs. <laughs> Instead of plays the organs, they steal it. Yeah. <laughs> they steal the organs. Yeah. Someone just Googled or the equivalent of the time Yahooed <laughs> the, uh, sodality and came up with organs. So the only way for the Vidians to survive as a race is they need to harvest organs. And so Janeway has to decide, it, this is her moral conundrum, whether to commit murder to save a life or let Neelix die. That's her either-or situation she's in. And then it's, it seems ironic that the Vidian says, if the consequence of this act is a death sentence, so be it, at least it will put an end to my suffering. And I'm thinking, well, you're the ones who put Neelix under a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sort of a little bit of a not a, a lack of awareness 
of others here. Well, you can see, I mean, they clearly have moral conscience. And so he could already be feeling bad for what he's doing, but has been rationalizing up to this point. And it's like, okay, I'm, life isn't fun for me anyway. I've got this horrible disease and it, at least I won't suffer anymore. Okay. All right. So, um, so Janeway says, this is a bit of a remarkable conclusion that Janeway comes to. I, I thought it was very interesting. She can't kill him. She knows that she can't just kill these guys. She can't lock them up forever. Like she's not going to take them with her to the Alpha Quadrant. So she has to let them go. But she gives them this dire warning that she'll do whatever is necessary to protect her people in the future. But I thought it was interesting. She's not going to take revenge. She's not going to, you know, punish them. She, she, what can she do? She's going to let them go. I thought that was an interesting conclusion. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. But then the Vidian, uh, the one Vidian Motura, uh, I think that's his name, says to who wants to use their superior medical technology to help Neelix. And uh, so they'll transplant a lung into Neelix that someone else will give. And apparently the Vidians have the ability to do, uh, what did you call it? The X, uh, Xenoplasty. Xenoplasty. So Cass volunteers to give up one of her yeah. lungs to Neelix. And, and they're going to modify her lungs so he won't reject it. So he doesn't have to be immunosuppressed apparently. Mm -hmm. But, why doesn't the Vidian just give back one of the two lungs they stole from Neelix? Right, right. They're giving back. They Why take Kess's lung? Yeah, because then yeah. you wouldn't have the touching scene where Kess is uh, giving you know giving of herself <laughs> to her lover, and that's exactly why. But it would be ordinarily better to put a person's own lung back in him. Now we will never again speak of Kess and Neelix having only one lung each. This is nope. One That's of those things where we have a major change to a character that never, ever comes up again. Because, of course, she'll get <laughs> used to only having one lung and they'll be back to completely normal by next right. week. And, and yes. they'll have no future respiratory problems when they're in emergency situations. <laughs> exactly. This is par for the course for Voyager. How many times does the ship get beat up and scarred and decks well, blown out? And next episode, it looks like it just came out of space dock. To be fair, most TV shows of the era... They did the same thing. You know, yep. I mean, how many yeah. times did the original series have major things happen and no long term consequences? So, you know, that's that's just the way it was in those days. But, you know, it, it's it would have been better if if that had been an ongoing part of the character development. Mm -hmm. Also, they at the end of the episode, the doctor s s decides to start training Cass to be a med tech to mm -hmm. give her something to do since being a gardener and tending plants isn't enough to justify her character on the show. Right, right. We need to see her in uh, with everybody else. Um, and yeah. then that will now begin the doctor mooning over Kess. Yeah. Yep. So, I want to know what Kess sees in Neelix. Why? I mean, what is the, is it like some kind of knight in shining armor thing that he like saved her from a bad place and that's why she likes him? Or boyfriend. What is, what is there about this guy that makes her interested in him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it the first boyfriend thing. She'd never had a yeah. boyfriend before, you know, I mean, that. Yeah. Uh, so any other <laughs> notes about this episode before we get to our listener feedback for the nope, week? Nothing here. Okay. Um, I had a few on this one. They, when they take Voyager into the asteroid, a giant space worm should have leapt up and snapped at them just as they escape. Um, <laughs> oh, you said a spit take from Father Corey on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I just take a drink uh, of water as soon as he said that. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Also, when they're when they go in the asteroid, the asteroid's implausibilities multiply because not only is it made of neutronium, a neutronium alloy, which is insane, yeah, but it also on the inside is a hall of mirrors, <laughs> yes. and and they can't I, tell them from the real ship. And if they follow the ship's ion trail, they might bump into a wall, as if the ship is capable of surviving impacts with space dust at high speed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a neutronium wall. I mean, come on. It's incredibly dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it all depends on how fast you're going. Yes. (laughs) And and then we get the cliche line from Janeway. That's a chance we're going to have to take, which (laughs) is always cringing whenever you hear that. Yep. And they eventually decide, and this is like, it's so mysterious. We can't tell which reflection is real and which isn't. And I'm going, you know, you could use radar. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and eventually they work their way around to that idea. It's like, let's put out phasers at minimum power and look at where the beams stop bouncing. And it's like, yeah, yeah you had this concept back in the 20th century. Exactly. <laughs> you reinvented radar. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in sickbay, Neelix has an itch over his left eyebrow, and that I totally sympathize with. Mm. Yes. I have like an appointment with the dentist later today, and that's when I itch, is when I'm <laughs> in the chair and can't do anything about yeah, it. Right. It's it's like that it's like that here when you go for a haircut that lands right on the tip of your nose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The under the um, Neelix then becomes a complete baby, complaining he the, if he can't see the doctor, he feels all alone and is becoming claustrophobic, even though he's not in a confined space. He's in a normally sized room. Um, and I'm thinking the doctor can just give him a tranquilizer. And then Neelix becomes hysterical and demands to be let out, even though it will instantly kill him. And finally, the doctor and the doctor then um, t- it tells tells him. It's critical that you not stress yourself. Try to calm down. And I'm going, give the guy a tranquilizer. (laughs) And then when Neelix is finally hyperventilating, the doctor at last tranks him and puts him out. And it's you didn't actually have to put him out. Just, you know, some Valium or something to calm him down. But we should have gotten there faster than we did. It's clear that the doctor is not married because you a married man knows that you never tell someone Look, just calm down. That doesn't work. Yeah. Telling someone who's freaking out at you to just calm down never works. Yeah. One thing I did notice is obviously Robert Picardo was getting used to the hypo sprays because you know usually on Star Trek when they do the, the injections, it's on the neck. Yeah. There are a couple of times yeah. he does it on his cheek. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> right? Because there's a major artery in yeah. the cheek. Yeah. yeah. It's like, um, uh, you're not used to using this thing, are you yet? Yeah. yeah. So when they beam aboard the Vidians, I'm going, why didn't the transporter eliminate the phage? I mean, they could have even had them do that because the nobody else in the Delta Quadrant has a transporter. Right. So they don't have transporter biofilters, and it totally could. It's like, this is a revolutionary thing. You can save our species with this. You could end all of this predation we're doing. That would have been a really nice turn in the episode. Um, but then you wouldn't have the Vidians in future. You wouldn't episodes. have them in the future, but they may have yeah. just from this episode. As far as we know, they're written as one shots because Janeway gives them the solemn warning about don't yeah. mess with us in the future. Right? You know, but but they could have they could have written any future episodes to be like the Vidians massing Voyager to get this new technology or something like they, that. Yeah, I mean, there's so right. much they could have done with it. 
they could have done that. They also could have discovered that some versions, just like antibiotics, can mm-hmm. cause can lead to worse problems if they're used wrong because it, the disease will build up resistance to the antibiotics. Right. Maybe you build up transporter resistant versions of the phage. Right. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Yeah. So, you know, that would there's all kinds of possibilities here that they just didn't see. Um, they say the phage attacked the Vidians over 2,000 years ago, and our immunotechnology can't keep up with us. That kind of is, it, that's kind of okay, because there's a disease theory known as the Red Queen's race. In Alice in Wonderland, or Alice Through the Looking Glass, the Red Queen talks to Alice about how you have to run as fast as you can just to keep in place. Right. And this concept has been applied to how our immune systems work with the diseases. There's this mutual arms race, whereas our immune systems get better, the germs get better, and vice versa. And so you're constantly struggling to uh, evolutionarily to keep up with each other. And that's one of the explanations for why we have sex and also why we sleep, um, Mm -hmm. proposed explanations, because there are apparent immune system benefits if you evolve to do those two things. But it's really hard to believe that the Vidians have this disease that affects only them Mm -hmm. and it's like incurable it affects only them and it apparently can infect the xenoplasty organs that they put in themselves um because otherwise at some point you know you're just a collection of new organs and and what's the phage going to go after so apparently it can infect these other species organs but then why can't it affect these other species And if they're so good at medicine, why can't they grow their own organs artificially after 2,000 years the way we're starting to do right now? Right. Um, So this is – there's just all kinds of implausibilities about the Vidians and the phage. And they reveal that their medical tech is considerably superior to that of the Federation. Well, the Federation can grow artificial organs. They already said so at the beginning of this episode. So why can't the Vidians? (laughs) Right. I have this feeling, and I don't recall whether because I don't. Vidians were never one of my favorite of the alien species. No, they're they're icky. Yes, uh, but I, I get the feeling that later on they will reveal that the phage was a um, Bio, bioengineered or bioengineered something? against them, and that's why yeah. it was mm. so hard to get rid of. But the, I may mm. be backfilling that uh, headcanon. Um, I, I I would say I like the Vidians better than the Kazon. The yes. Kazon, I just cannot take seriously. It's like they're teenage Klingons with horrible hair. Oh, the bad yeah, hair. Exactly. Yeah, just, I, I can't, yeah, I can't deal with the hair. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the, with, with the, your take on the, the phage. And I, I do like the idea of, of that, of the question that they start with is what, how would it affect the evolution of a culture and a society that had everything revolved around dealing with a disease that couldn't be cured that that's an mm. interesting question i don't think they do it justice even a tiny bit with this episode but i mm-hmm. think it's an interesting question and, and and in fact i think they deal with that question better in follow-on uh vidian episodes mm-hmm. especially the one where they they have the vidian who they are able to recreate her appearance from what like a, before the disease or without the disease uh, mm-hmm. I forget what that one's called, but but they deal with that a little bit better in following episodes. So I that aspect I find interesting. But this one I just did. I, the Vidians were just monster of the week here. Let's mm-hmm. make yeah. them gross. Uh, so that was that wasn't as satisfying. 
So interesting, very interesting there. So if that's all about the phage, let's move on to our listener feedback. We have a bit of yeah. feedback uh, from listeners. Um, our first one comes from uh, back in episode 54, the, when we talked about the naked now and the next generation. James McDonald had a couple of points he wanted to make. He said, I agree that with, this was probably about the worst next gen episode ever. It's embarrassing to watch. But however, I do have a couple comments. One, I think it would have been so much better if they'd completely ignored Troy. It would be so much more believable for her to simply be in her room, <laughs> cowering in a corner because of not being able to hand, handle the cacophony of emotion that's going on in the ship that, that's quite different from what she's used to, and just suffering from like a mind storm or a motion storm, or actually have shown that on screen, that would have been cool instead of her just getting uh, all uh, interested in Riker or, or yeah. whatnot, that, that sort of thing. Uh, mm. Two... I don't know if I ever believe that Data actually caught the disease. It seems to me that he's just mimicking the behavior of the people around him in his attempt to become Ooh. more human because he doesn't Ooh. seem to be affected later when he has to put the isolinear chips back in. Uh, mm, so, that's really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, mach- the machine around us is pretending to be infected when it's not. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, a super yeah. powerful machine. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I kind of prefer just the idea that the thing that, that Data is enough human-like that, that it messed with the positronic brain. Even though that's implausible. Yeah, I'd prefer that to Data just wanting to act like everybody else, because that's just creepy. <laughs> He's just Zelig. <laughs> yeah. Um, and on the Troy thing, I, 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 I think that would be, well, so much of this episode yeah. would be better if everyone were just sitting in their, in their quarters, mm. not being seen or heard from. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say there's so much of Next Generation it would be better if Troy was just sitting in a corner being seen and not heard. Yeah. But she, she got better I'm later not, on. I'm not a but, fan of that. She does get better. Yeah. As the season goes on, the series goes on, but oh, there's some bad yeah, ones. That first <laughs> that season, yeah. So then uh, third point is, I believe it was Dom who said that in order to get this disease or virus, you had to have skin-to-skin contact, and it certainly is included in how you would get it, because that's how almost everybody does get it. However, in both this episode and the original Naked Time, the first person who gets it gets it from an inanimate object. In fact, in Naked Time, the mm-hmm. virus went from one person's hand, traveled against gravity up the side of the table, and onto the crewman's hand. Well, in this one, it's actually uh, Jordy gets it from touching the body of the person who falls out of the shower. Right, so right. That is, yeah. that is person-to-person contact anyway. But but somehow patient zero has to get any disease, right. not from another person, um, right. but either from another organism or from the environment or it mutates inside of his body. Yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, good point. And so, yeah, the, there has to be a way for the, for the disease to be caught not skin-to-skin or person-to-person. And then on our uh, episode uh, number 57 on Strange New World from Enterprise, uh, Rashad Fu on YouTube writes, my question is, why would the Vulcans create a classification for planets that's the standard of judgment on habitable worlds for humanoid life that is not the same as their home world? Vulcan and Earth are wildly different climates and ecosystems. Mm -hmm. He's talking about uh, the Minshara class or M-class planet classification. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, my guess, and now, of course, the real reason is the writers developed this system hodgepodge. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the there's apparently more than one type of planet that we can inhabit. It doesn't have to be Class M. I believe I remember reading class, somewhere Class L is also habitable for humans, but it's marginally so. Mm-hmm. And so if uh, v- there are probably like maybe, say, three 
uh, different classes. You've got M, which is basically the one Earth falls in, and then you have two extremes on either side of it that are habitable and mm-hmm. and um, and but are not as easy for humans. And maybe if L is on one side, maybe V for Vulcan is on the other side. Right. And it's the arid, difficult for humans to inhabit one, but it's perfect for Vulcans to inhabit. And may, most humanoid life, but not Vulcans, then seems to find M most, com- mm-hmm. most comfortable. The YouTube creator, certifiably in-game, we've mentioned him before. Yeah. Uh, he did put out a video a couple of months ago, I want to say, where he talks about the different classes of planets. And I, I think it is something like that, where M is kind of like, this is the vast majority of planets that produce humanoid life. This is where they sit. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the classification is just a broad classification that would include yeah. any planet where humanoid life can can live, like including human, Vulcan. Yeah, human can live on Vulcan as Spock's mother shows, but it doesn't mean it's comfortable for that person. It just right. this is a place where they could survive. But humanoid, not just human, but humanoid right. life. Humanoid, I think that's yeah. the, the humanoid compatible. And and also as we've seen in Discovery, uh, Vulcan has a variety of climates. Apparently, it has an ocean and trees and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So it's not just arid. I'm I am firmly opposed to the trend in science fiction of having mono environmental planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the the ice planet and the desert planet and the, the Star Trek Star Wars is infamous for that. But uh, yes, the swamp planet. Although there was a time millions of years ago when we apparently had a snowball Earth. Well, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Earth was an ice planet at one time. Okay, it's, it's a hot <laughs> to- this is a hot topic. We'll leave it there. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, those, that's it for our feedback. Uh, thank you very much for for the feedback this week. We love to get your feedback. Um, yeah. And uh, as we close out, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Francis B, Carla K, Jason K, Leslie H, and Jeff V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of the Voyager episode Phage? Uh, do you agree, disagree with us? We'd love to hear from you. You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media and leave us some feedback or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Unexpected. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Yeah, thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. Our script was rejected, so expect the unexpected. <laughs> and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, Paris is just one big hormone walking around the ship. <laughs>